Hello and welcome to Folklore of the Universe, the podcast which one out of ten dentists recommend. I'm your host, Kyle. This is episode 29. This should be a fairly standard episode, uh, it's just ahead normal now. I don't really have any special announcements either, there's nothing going on, just this episode now, another episode in two weeks, so on and so forth. So let's get down to business. In this episode, we've got two stories. There's going to be an Indian one, then a Vietnamese one. But of course, first, as always, we've got our Monster of the Week. This episode, our Monster of the Week, comes from Mediterranean and Arabic folklore, and this is called the Zaratan. The Zaratan is a giant sea creature. It's most commonly depicted as being like a giant turtle who swims around in the ocean, but other depictions have also said it looks something like a whale or like a big sea monster with spines on its dorsal ridge. Whatever it is, it's really damn big, and it's covered in all these rocks and crannies and crevices and even valleys, which are so big that it lets plants and trees grow there. Because of this, when it's just laying there on the surface of the water, it looks like it's an island, which ships often mistake it for being an island. So if you've ever seen an island turtle before in a game or an art type thing, uh, that's where it comes from. It's the Zaratan. Unfortunately, it's cool, but it's not all great, because sailors would mistake it for an island, according to legend, and disembark on it, and then if it submerged while they're on there, it would drown them all, and usually take the ship down with it, too. That's really not ideal, probably don't need to say it, but it's just not great when your uh, island sinks and takes you down with it, so you always want to get island insurance. Very important tip if you're ever going into the, uh, the sailing maritime profession, Get island insurance because some of those islands might not be islands. The Zertan does crop up in a couple of places that go back pretty far, too. For example, it's mentioned in Sinbad the Sailor, part of A Thousand and One Nights, which is a bunch of really old folk stories, so you can imagine how far back that comes from. It was also mentioned in the Book of Animals, written by Al-Jahiz. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but he was an Arabian writer and zoologist in the 800s who uh, mentioned this creature as being an animal. So there's another really old legend mention of the Zaratan. Overall, I really like the Zaratan. I love the whole island's turtle vibe. I just like turtles in general, to be honest, even though they can be tricky bastards sometimes. But when they're islands, they're pretty cool. We got some major uh, Discworld vibes from this. I mean, of course, that's from an actual mythology, too, about the world being on top of a turtle. But if you haven't read Discworld by Terry Pratchett, Go check those out, because they're they're very good. In fact, I uh, officially recommend them. The Folklore of the Universe recommended series, Discworld. So go give that a look, because it's very good. But now it's time to move on to our stories. Our first story, like I said before, is an Indian folk story. And the story is called The Gold-Giving Serpent. Now, in a certain place, there lived a Brahmin named Haridatta, who was a farmer, but poor was the return his labor brought him. One day, at the end of the hot hours, the Brahmin, overcome by the heat, lay down under the shadow of a tree to have a doze. Suddenly, he saw a great hooded snake creeping out of an anthill near at hand. So he thought to himself, Surely, this is the guardian deity of the field, and I have not ever worshipped it. That's why my farming is in vain. I will at once go and pay my respects to it. When he had made up his mind, he got some milk, poured it into a bowl, and went to the anthill, and said aloud, O guardian of this field, all this while I did not know that you dwelt here. That is why I have not yet paid my respects to you, 
pray, forgive me. And he laid the milk down and went to his house. Next morning, he came and looked, and he saw a gold dinar in the bowl. And from that time onwards, every day, the same thing occurred. He gave milk to the serpent and found a gold dinar. One day, the Brahmin had to go to the village, and so he ordered his son to take the milk to the anthill. The son brought the milk, put it down, and went back home. Next day, he went again and found a dinar, so he thought to himself, This anthill is surely full of gold dinars. I'll kill the serpent and take them all for myself. So next day, while he was giving the milk to the serpent, the Brahmin's son struck it on the head with a cudgel. But the serpent escapes death by the will of fate, and in a rage bit the Brahmin's son with its sharp fangs, and he fell down dead at once. His people raised him a funeral pyre not far from the field and burnt him to ashes. Two days afterwards, his father came back, and when he learnt his son's fate, he grieved and mourned. But after a time, he took the bowl of milk, went to the anthill, and praised the serpent with a loud voice. After a long, long time, the serpent appeared, but only with its head out of the opening of the anthill, and spoke to the Brahmin. "'Tis greed that brings you here, and makes you even forget the loss of your son. From this time forwards, friendship between us is impossible. Your son struck me in youthful ignorance, and I have bitten him to death. How can I forget the blow with the cudgel? How can you forget the pain and grief at the loss of your son?" So speaking, he gave the Brahmin a costly pearl and disappeared. But before it went away, it said, Come back no more. The Brahmin took the pearl and went back home, cursing the folly of his son. The End Now, this is some pretty clear anti-snake propaganda, which crops up a bunch. The Bible does this shit too, where there's the snake in the tree and it tempts Adam and Eve to doing bad stuff, but really it's kind of good stuff because they become enlightened and all that, but still blaming the snakes for bad things happening. Riki Tiki Tavi, that, that blames the snakes too. That's really a whole lot of nonsense. Because obviously these stories demonize snakes because it's warning kids to not go play with snakes because the snakes might bite them, and if the snakes are poisonous, the kids are going to die. Which is fair. I mean, the snakes are just sort of defending themselves, so it's kind of a dick move to blame them for self-defense. But I can see why you'd want to warn kids not to go throw them around, because snakes don't really appreciate that. You know, like, they're totally down to chill, but they don't want to be tossed about like a hacky sack. It's not really their style. I'm also going to call bullshit on the whole there can never be friendship between us again line because uh, I've got a friend who loves snakes, and his snakes love him too, so obviously that bridge has been mended. Overall though, this is a fairly neat story, a pretty good moral too, of uh, don't get greedy, you know, don't bite the hands that feeds you, or club the snake that gives you money. And it also acts as an explanation for why humans and snakes haven't really gotten along too well, which we know now is because people were treating snakes badly, so the snakes attacks in self-defense, but back then they thought, why do these snakes keep biting us when we go close to them and smell us because we piss them off by being assholes? Really, if any animal is a baddie, then it's turtles, because we've seen all the different evil things turtles have done. So far, what have snakes done? What have snakes done? They've, um, they tried to give people money, they tried to give money to the poor, they tried to give people knowledge and enlightenment to better themselves. 
Uh, I don't know what the Snakes and Ricky Tiki Taffy's goal was, but probably not dying was on the list. Turtles ended their hands. Like, they've done so much bad stuff, so maybe we should rewrite the Bible a little bit, put um, a turtle in the tree instead of a snake, and just edit, just sort of swap them out a little bit. But don't don't put snakes in the evil stories, because they, they never done that. One really cool thing about this folk story is that it's one of those ones that gives you a lot of insight into the culture it's about. So, for example, it mentions how they do a funeral pyre, so we know that this culture uh, does cremations instead of burials, or that one of the things that's expected is to give offerings to local deities, like the farmer giving offerings to the snake of the fields. Uh, we know that milk is uh, considered a good offering to these guardian spirits. So there's a lot of little things you can pick up by listening to the story, which give you some insights into the context for who's telling the story. Which I think is really cool. I like getting a little cultural insights into this. And it's not fair to blanket this to India as a whole, because India is a huge place with like a billion different cultures within it. So I don't really know which part of India the story comes from, but it does give some idea as to what some people traditionally celebrated and did back when the story was first recorded. And even earlier, because I'm sure it was passed down through oral tradition for a while too. So, a bit anti-snake, which isn't necessarily cool, but still very fun story, cool moral, cool insights into the culture, so I like this one. I mean, I like all of them. I'm not, I'm not going to tell a story that I don't like, because I just sort of filter those out. I only pick ones I enjoy, but still, it's, it's a good one. And this next one is one I really, really like, and as I said before, this is going to be a Vietnamese story. And this story is called The Rain King. Once upon a time in Vietnam, rain did not fall for many months. All the creatures worried. A drought could destroy the earth and all those who lived upon it. A toad, who lived near a pond, stuck a hole deep in the mud. The pond grew shallower each day, but in his hole, he could hide from the relentless sun. There he felt cool and protected. But weeks passed, with still no sign of rain, and even the toad's mud hole began to dry. Eventually, he knew his hole would turn to dust then his body would turn dry. And after that, he shivered just thinking of what would happen to him. He decided he must travel to speak to the King of Heaven and beg him to send rain. When the other animals heard of his plan, they laughed. You're only a toad. The King of Heaven is too important to talk to you, they said. But the toad just hopped out of his mud hole and set off on his long journey. At the edge of the pond, he followed the river and when he reached a bend in the river, he noticed a swarm of bees searching for nectar in a field of withering flowers. I'm going to the King of Heaven to beg for rain, he croaked. Would you like to join me? The bees hovered over his head, considering his offer. If our flowers die, we'll die too, they buzzed, and they agreed to join the toad. Before long, they came upon a rooster with tears in its eyes. I've just buried my last friend. The rooster wept. He died of hunger. The rice paddies are dry. And the farmers refuse to feed us. Soon they'll have no food even to feed themselves. Come with us, the bees buzzed. We are going to ask the king of heaven to send rain. What can it hurt? The rooster said. And so he joined them, and the crew of animals traveled on. Everywhere they walked, they passed animals dying of hunger and thirst. But each creature they passed only hardened their will. We will save the world, the toad promised. At the foot of the mountains, 
The group happens past a panting tiger. I'm dying of thirst, he coughed. Come with us to the king of heaven, the rooster crowed. We're going to ask him to send rain. Why not, the tiger said, and he too joined the group. Up and up they climbed, the bees flying ahead. When they reached the highest mountain peak, the tiger turned to the toad and the rooster. Hop on my back, he said, and they did. Then, with all his strength, he leaps towards the nearest cloud. The bees flew beside him. We made it, rooster crowed as the tiger landed safely, and from cloud to cloud they leaped higher and higher. At last, they reached the gates of heaven. Altogether, they made their way through the gates, the toad hopping ahead, and the toad landed right at the king's feet. Your majesty, he croaked, look down here. When the king saw the warty toad, the scruffy tiger, the skinny rooster, and the wild bees, he cried out to his guards, Come capture these intruders. The toad turned and hopped as fast as he could towards the gates, crying for help, and the bees at once went to work. They set upon the guards, stinging their legs and arms, their noses and toes. Howling with pain, the guards stopped running and tossed away their arms. Your majesty, the toad tried again. This time the king of heaven cried, Thunder God, save me from these intruders. Thunder God began to bang his drums, and soon heaven itself was trembling with the roars of Thunder God's fury. Now Rooster began to crow with all his might, letting out the harshest, loudest sound anyone had ever heard. Terrified at this noise, Thunder God dropped his drums and covered his ears. Don't ask for my help to save you from these monsters, he said to the king. With that, the king blew upon a whistle that only the Hound of Heaven could hear. Come save me from these intruders, he cried. A moment later, a ferocious beast, with white fur, red eyes, and drool dripping from its monstrous mouth appeared as if from nowhere and bounded towards the toad. The tiger at once set upon him, and the two began to fight. Inspired by his friend's cheers, the tiger leaped and grabbed the beast by the neck with his razor-sharp claws. Just as he was about to sink his teeth into the beast's throat, the king cried, Stop! What do you want, Uncle Toad? Wait, tiger, the toad cried. You see, he understood that uncle was a term of the highest respect. He was very glad to know the king would show him respect. Let the hound of heaven go, the toad said, and the tiger did. The king looked around. His guards were weeping and scratching at their stings. Thunder God hid behind a cloud, the hounds cowered and whimpered. Uncle Toad, what do you want? The king asked again. Please send rain to us, said the toad. Everyone on earth will die if you do not send us water. We've come to beg you. The king considered for a few moments, and then he smiled. I will send rain, he said. If you promise that the next time you wish for rain, you will not travel all the way here. If you croak loudly, I'll know it is time to send rain. The toad agreed. His friends rejoiced, and they all traveled home that very day. That evening, the rain began to fall, nourishing the land and all the creatures on it. Ever since that day, whenever Uncle Toad croaks loud enough, rain soon follows, and everyone gives thanks to the toad for his courage and generosity, which saved them all. The End I really like this story, and I know I say that about every story, but I especially like this one, and it's not just because it's got a toad in it. I mean, it's mostly because of the toad. 
Um, I did pretty much entirely pick this story because I thought it's been too long since we've had a story with an amphibian in it. Our frog boys and toad boys, they're getting lonely. So that's, that's why I picked this one, but there's other cool things about it too. I also really like the whole story motif of the animals adventure team. We've got all these different animals who band together. They all have different skills and powers they bring to the table. They all defeat different enemies and help progress the adventure in different ways. So I really like that story motif, which this one does. A few other stories have done. It also kind of sounds like the setup to a joke. Like a toad, a bee, a bird, and a tiger all walk into a bar. And then the bar floods, but it's happy because the bar, they were out of water. So they're like, hey... We need water, you know, we need something to give to our designated drivers. Uh, and then it flooded, and they're like, heck yeah, we've got water. Don't, don't actually use that. If you're ever at an open bike night, don't use that one. Um, I, it doesn't really get a very good reaction from the crowd. It's, it'll, it's, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. Let's move on from poor attempts at jokes to the actual story and meaning since all that junk. So right off the bat, this is another explanation story. This is telling why frogs and toads croak before it rains. Now, scientifically, we know that frogs can sense the increased humidity in the air that comes before it rains because they've got very sensitive skin. They know that's going to create optimal conditions for them when it rains because they like the water, so they croak loudly to attract mates because it's basically prime breeding time for them. In the context of the story, is explaining it as the frog uh, croaks to bring the rain because of that deal with the king of heaven. Because obviously, way back when, the nuances of meteorology and frog biology weren't so commonly known. Or none at all. Except by frogs. The story draws a lot from Vietnamese folk religion, which isn't one super organized unified religion. It's more of like a collection of beliefs and traditions around the gods, or the, uh, I believe it's pronounced Han. That's, uh, it's hard to pronounce, but that's the closest I can get, which roughly translates to god or spirit. And there's a whole bunch of different ones, ranging from nature gods to national gods to ancestor gods. So in this story, we focus more on the nature gods, like the main king of heaven in charge of running everything, then also the god of thunder, then also this divine beast who he commands too. In addition, we also get another little glimpse at the culture, like we did in the last story, where it even mentions in this one that uncle is a term of high respect. So that's a little tidbit from the culture there that we now know. A bit more blatant as it's directly stated, instead of having to figure it out, but still cool that they've got that in there and that you can learn that from hearing this story. I do think it's kind of interesting how this half-dead tiger is an equal match for this divine heavenly beast. In fact, a better match because it almost wins the fight. So the divine beast um, isn't really too up to snuff, if that's the case then. All I guess he was inspired by his friends, so he got that bardic inspiration bonuses, so that kind of helps, I guess. And also, if you've ever read the uh, documentary Calvin and Hobbes, you'll know that tigers are very tough, so I guess that does check out. I'm afraid, though, that's all I've got time for, so I'm going to start wrapping the episode up here. So once again, as always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Folklore of the Universe. I hope you enjoyed this one. I really enjoyed this one. been looking forward to these stories for a bit now since I found them, so glad I can finally do them. As always, uh, please recommend this around, you know, show it to new people. 
increase the listener base. I've got my email in the description of the thing if you've got any feedback or if there's any stories you really like you want me to cover on the show, please send them in to me. I'd love to, to see what you've got and to uh, find new ones to cover or potential monsters of the week. I'll try and do those too. And that is all I've really got. So I've got another episode in two weeks' time. This is going to be another kind of cool one. I'm going to be tackling sort of a new, new facet of folklore in that one. So stay tuned for that. Until then... Uh, this is all, so I've been Kyle, this has been the show, and goodbye.